James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, I don't know about you, but that last section we just read, does, doesn't that seem a little out of place? It seems like all of a sudden it just was ta a tag on. As we get to the end of our study tonight, hopefully if you're tracking with us, you're going to see God had James write that tied to this for a reason. It's not a tag on at the end. The let your yes be yes and your no be no and don't swear any oaths is actually connected with where we're going to go tonight. Now, what I want you to also notice first, though, is go back and look at verse uh, 7 and following. What word is reiterated over and over and over? Patient. patient. Do you see it? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you that if we had looked a little bit more closely, we might have noticed that the scriptures have given us a few hints that Jesus's return may not have happened as quickly as many people have thought. Now, as we're going to see in a little bit, we are to be expecting the return of Jesus at any moment. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment, and that's a biblical thing, and we'll get to that in a second. But as we see here, I started to realize that all through the scriptures, God had given us little hints, if we were paying attention, that his return was going to take a little longer than a lot of people thought. Even though we're to be watching and ready at any moment, there were hints that it would seem delayed. You see here in James, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Well, why would he tell us to be patient if, we, if it's going to happen quickly? There's a hint here that it might be a little bit longer than you'd think. But let me show you some more. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. All of a sudden, he started to bring to my mind all the different places where obviously, as you look, the Holy Spirit was inspiring the Bible writers to give us a little clue. His return might be a little bit longer than we think. 2 Peter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Jump over to verse 9 real quick in this same section. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We've talked about that verse many times about how God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all come to repentance. But if you look at it, in there was a little clue, a little hint that he's not slow as some people count slowness. In other words, he's saying it's going to be a little bit longer than many of you think. 
And then he also said in the last days there's going to become scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? Everything just keeps right on going as it always did. So again, if you look at it a little more closely now, us being here 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to the Father until he comes back to the earth, it's been a little while, hasn't it? And the scriptures have given us little hints here and there. I showed you that it was going to be a little bit longer than you thought. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 8. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord's already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or abject of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I'm not going to break this down. When we get to 2 Thessalonians in this section, we'll dive into this in great detail. But Paul had taught them like he says here about the coming of the Lord and our being gathered to him. There's going to be a gathering of the church prior to the second coming of Jesus to the actual earth where he sets up his kingdom. But before, and that's by the way, as you're going to see in our study of first and second Thessalonians, I'm trouble saying it tonight. You're going to see that the day of the Lord begins at the beginning of the tribulation period and moves right into the millennial kingdom. And we're going to show you scripturally that when the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, it begins at the beginning of the tribulation period. The church had been taught by Paul that we're going to be taken out prior to that. And then after the rapture will be the day of the Lord. Well, they were suffering and people were starting to say, well, we're already in the day of the Lord. I actually had a lady call me this afternoon from Chicago and she was talking about all the wickedness that was going on and all the killings that were happening and looting and all this stuff. And she goes, are we in the tribulation period? And I had to encourage her and say, no. You're just getting a picture of how bad it's going to be. Just imagine how it's going to be when God removes his restraining influence over sin from the, through the church off the earth. Man, you, Jesus said you didn't even want to be on the earth during that time. But at the same time, Paul was writing to him and saying, look, there's still a lot of stuff that's got to happen before Jesus come back and, comes back and sets his foot on the earth. There's going to be a rebellion. There's going to be a man of lawlessness. He's going to step into the temple. He's going to declare himself to be God. Again, little hints. That Jesus' actual coming back to the earth would be a little bit. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verses 48 through 51. Matthew 24, verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed... And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour when he does not know. And he'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here in this parable of the wicked servant who doesn't do what he's supposed to do while the master's away. The master goes away, leaves him in charge, gives him responsibility. Tells him when I come back I'll reckon with you. But the guy in this parable says, my master's delayed. 
He's been gone a while. Maybe he's going to be gone a while, longer. And so there's a little hint that Jesus' return might be a little bit longer. Go to chapter 25. Look at verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now as the bridegroom was what? Delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Now afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So here we see a mixture of the two. You're to be watching because you don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen at any moment. Yet he was delayed. Go to chapter 25, verses 14 through 19. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a short time, is that what the story says? After what? After a long time. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. Again, we've kind of missed it. In our excitement, in the fact that we are to be watching for Jesus' return, and there's nothing biblically that has to happen prior to the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment, and you don't know the day or the hour. And we're going to look at that as the scripture talks about that. In the midst of our excitement of, Lord Jesus, come now. The end of the book of Revelation says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And what does the rest of it say? Amen. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord, we're ready for your return. And in our excitement about the return and looking for the return and watching for the return, as the Bible says, as we're supposed to, many of us have missed the fact that there's been some hints all along that his return might be a little bit slow, as some people count slowness. But he's not slow. He might seem like he's delayed. He's not really delayed. Everything's right on schedule. I'm, I'm going to do something I didn't do last night, but I want to do this now because I think it'll help you. Uh, someone here know what year you got saved? For me, it was 1973. What year did you get saved? 1974. All right. 72. 1922? No, I'm kidding. 2022. Good for you. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that he waited until 2022? Aren't you glad he waited until 74? Aren't you glad he waited until 53? You understand what I'm saying? We, we say, all right, Lord, come on. But we forget that he waited for us. There's still others. We're going to come back to it in James, but that's a part of the being patient. We're to be watching and ready, but part of the being patient is trusting that God's way is best. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 36 through 39. Hebrews 10 36 through 39. 
for you have need of endurance. By the way, do you need endurance on a sprint or endurance on a long race? Long race. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So I'm going to ask you a question. Seeing here clearly, and there's others, but that's enough for us to get an idea that the scriptures have kind of had hints there all along that his return would seem long. After a long time, he comes back. Were the early Christians, the first century Christians, wrong for thinking that Jesus' return could happen in their lifetime? No. Remember, Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the rapture, we who are alive will be caught up. We'll all be changed. He expected it in his lifetime, and he was teaching them to expect it in their lifetime. That's why he had a right to the church in Thessalonica, because people are saying, well, we're already in the day of the Lord. We must have missed the rapture. Or maybe Paul's not right about this pre-tribulational rapture thing. And he had to say, don't be shaken in mind to put some letter that might seem to have come from us or by some spirit saying this or that. And I want you to understand, folks, that the Bible says very clearly, and I'm going to show you a couple of places, that they were not wrong to expect it at any moment. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Matthew 24 again. Matthew 24, 42 through 44. Matthew 24, starting in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I think it's pretty clear in here that that means from this moment that you hear these words, be ready. You don't know when, be ready though. Not, well, you can start getting ready in about five years. No, be ready now. Go to Matthew 25. Look at verses 11 through 13. In Matthew 25, verse 11, it says, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, the wise virgins were prepared for a long time, but they also had the Spirit. Those who didn't have the Spirit weren't ready. But he also says, watch, be ready and looking. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, are we starting to see 1 Thessalonians a lot? I started to realize what God was starting to show me as I was doing this study and next week's. 1 Thessalonians 5, look at verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Why would we not have anything need to be written to us about the times and the seasons? Well, we don't know when and we're to be ready at any moment. Now, the, there are things that we need. If you're going to be taught about the actual return of Jesus to the earth, there's going to be a seven year period. There's going to be a temple rebuilt. There's going to be all that stuff. There's going to be times and seasons. And the Bible actually gives us how many days. But for the rapture. You don't have to have anything written to you about the times and the seasons. Why? Well, he answers that. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains have come upon a pregnant woman. By the way, Jesus described the tribulation period as a time of woman in labor. And they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Go to Romans 13. And as you're going to Romans 13, look at verses 11, and we go to verses 11 through 14. Remember, this was written to the first century Christians. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, Paul says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. That quarreling is going to be important later on tonight. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Almost 2,000 years ago, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, the hour has come. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. It's time to wake up. Be ready. So you were right when I asked you the question, was the early church wrong in thinking that the rapture would happen or the return of Jesus happened in their lifetime? No, they were not because Jesus tells us all to live with that mindset. So... How are we to be patient, yet watching and ready? Well, we're to be ready at any moment for his return, yet we're also to live with an understanding that this is his world and his plan, and we're to be patient as he does things in his time. I don't want to show hands on this, but I'll confess and admit it. I've gotten frustrated a few times over the last few years on how long it's taken. I'm pretty sure some of you have felt the same way as well. It's been easy to get a little discouraged, been a little easy to get caught up in the latest blood moon or whatever thing might be happening. And we're gonna talk about that tonight a little bit because James talks about that. And it's tempting sometimes to get a little anxious, a little bothered, a little bit depressed, a little bit frustrated. We're human, but God says to us, be patient until the coming of the Lord, but be ready at any moment. Yet let God be God and let God do it in his way. I put into my notes in another way of phrasing it. To be ready is to be saved by faith in Jesus' salvation and living obediently so that we're ready if Jesus returns today. And to be patient is to live with other believers and the world in compassion and grace as Jesus does things in his timetable, which is not like ours. Remember, we already saw earlier, he's not slow as some people count slowness. For him, a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. He doesn't feel time the way we do. And we need to keep that in mind. 
And so I want to encourage you tonight, and we're going to go back to James, go back to James, and we're going to pull out of this section of James some things that God gives us specifically we're supposed to do that will help us. Remember, being ready is to be saved by faith alone in Jesus. And if he comes and raptures his church today, we're going to be taken because we're his and we're sealed and he's going to come get us and take us to be with him. But at the same time, to be patient is to live our lives in such a way that the spirit of God can bless the people around us as we're waiting for Jesus's return, whether they're saved or not saved, but especially those who are saved. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to James 5 now, and I'm going to pull out of here three or four things that he says that we're to do. Now, the first one, we're not going to number. I'm just going to set this as a background to all of it. We should learn from the farmers about this type of patience. Look at what he says there in verse uh, uh, seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. If you know anything about farming, the farmer has to do his work, correct? He's got to do his work. He's got to prepare the soil. He's got to plant the seed. He's got to water it. But once he's done what he's supposed to do, it's out of his hands. The rest is pretty much in God's hands, is it not? Oh, by the way, even a farmer can't tell you how the world dirt makes something grow. It makes it, doesn't that crazy? You take some little seed that looks like you, you can even chew on it and bite on it, nothing. But you put it in the dirt. And all of a sudden it comes to life and becomes something else and makes all this other stuff. It's crazy. But all the farmer, and the, by the way, the farmer's livelihood, his whole life is sitting there in the dirt. And if it doesn't spring up, he's in trouble and he has no choice but to wait on God. He had to do what he was supposed to do and then trust God for the results. So let's keep that in mind as we look at the things that James tells us that we're to do. The first one is in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Number one is this. We're to establish our hearts. Folks, before you can act properly toward those around you, you must first make sure that you are ready for Jesus to return yourself and let him encourage you so that you can encourage others who are waiting for his return. In other words, if we're to be, and I'm going to show you scriptures that talk about this, if we're to be encouraging each other to be ready for the return of the Lord and be patient until the return of the Lord, you have to have that encouragement and patience within you already. And so the first thing we're to do is to establish our hearts. Actually, when Peter was writing to the elders in the church there in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says this to him. He says, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of God, which is under your care. A true pastor cannot care for the church until he's cared for his own soul first and fed his own soul. And too many people in churches today are more concerned about the pastor feeding them than they are about him feeding himself. Folks, you would be amazed at how many times over the years when I was a pastor of a church and would be in my office. And I always, every church I've ever been in, I put a, if the door didn't have a window, I took the door off the hinges. The very first day that I became pastor, I took the door off the hinges and I found a man that had carpentry skills. And I'd say, please put a big window in this door because there's going to be times I'm going to be in here counseling with somebody. And I want everybody to be able to see in what's going on. So I'll be above reproach. But now that is a good thing and protect me from people accusing me of things that weren't true. But it was also so bad in the fact that whenever you walked by, you could see in my office whether I was there. And also sometimes I'd be in there praying 
And you would be amazed how many people came in and said, oh, good, you're not doing anything. You got a minute. The early pastors, if you will, in Acts chapter 6 were wise enough to say, look, you choose seven men from among you full of the spirit and wisdom to take care of this waiting on tables thing. We're going to stick to ministry of the word and prayer. And as much as pastors need to feed themselves before they can feed the flock, you can't be an encouragement to anybody else until you establish your heart. That you are ready for the return. You know you're at peace with him. You know you're saved. And you also know that this God who's in control of the timing of his return is gutted under control and everything he does is good. And until you get there, you can't encourage anybody with it. So you got to get there yourself. Then go to 1 Thessalonians. That's an interesting book. Let's try that one. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then you can encourage others. 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the section that Glenn and Betty want us to be in when we're studying Thessalonians when the rapture happens. We were talking about this earlier tonight. But that means that Glenn and Betty are rooting for the rapture not to happen for at least three or four months. So go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verses 13 through 18. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means those Christians who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, there it is again, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. By the way, Paul couldn't encourage us with these words if he didn't know these truths himself. Do you understand? See, a lot of us say, well, it's going to be all right. Well, how do you know? Well, I just feel it's going to be all right. Huh? You can't encourage anybody unless you encourage them with what God has said. Go to Romans 15. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes real quick, but there's a passage that's wanting to come out of me right now. So go to Romans 15. Look at verses 4 through 7. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of what? The scriptures, we might have hope. Now, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What was written in the scriptures was written for our endurance and for our encouragement. And how we encourage people is that we encourage them with what God has said. Again, that's going to be important at the very end of our study. And if you don't know what God has said, you can't encourage them. If you were to go to 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 15, around verse 23, David is running from Saul and he's hiding in this area in a cave and he's kind of down. And Jonathan comes and finds him and the Bible tells us that he encouraged him and strengthened him in the Lord. And this is what Jonathan said to David. 
Everything God said is going to still happen, even though it doesn't look like it. God's already had you anointed as the next king of Israel, and you will be king, and I will be second in command. I will not be over you. You will be king. Did you catch that? He encouraged them with what God has said. See, because at that time, it didn't look like it was gonna, he was going to be king, even though he had been anointed. But Saul had been trying to kill him so much, and he kept getting closer and closer and closer. And David got a little discouraged. And maybe some of you even have had a few thoughts of, where is this rapture? Maybe the church won't be taken out prior to. Maybe it's, we're going to have to go through the tribulation. You got to know what the word says, folks, or else you won't be able to encourage each other. You won't be able to encourage each other because if you've ever read our book, the people that go through the tribulation, they're not going to have it easy. Woe to those who live on the earth at that time. Well, let me show you another one. Go to, I think it's 1 Thessalonians. Go to chapter 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Be pa uh, and then it says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Again, we're to encourage people. Well, what do we encourage them with? The word of God. What God has said. And to hang on to what he has said. Go to Isaiah 30. Actually, we'll jump. We're in chapter 5. Go to verses 9 through 11. Then we'll go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 5, look at verses 9 through 11. So, for God has not destined us for wrath. Remember we read that earlier? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. By the way, I can encourage you, and we'll get to that when we study Thessalonians and we tie it to Revelation a lot. I can encourage you with the fact that God not only has not destined us for wrath, the tribulation period, the entire part of it, all seven years, is the wrath of God. Because as the seals are open, the world actually reacts as they hide in the rocks in the cave and they say, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. And by the way, who's the one opening each seal? Jesus, the lamb. Oh, so people say, well, the first three and a half years, that's the wrath of man and Satan. And the second half is the wrath of God. No, it's the whole thing is the wrath of God. The Bible makes that very clear. And he's also promised us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, that he's going to keep the church from the hour of trial, the time period of trial that's going to come on the whole world to try it and to test it. Folks, let me encourage you with something. If you are in Christ, we will be taken out of here prior to. Now, should we then say, let's all just have a holy huddle, get up on the roof in our white sheets and just wait until he comes and gets us? No, he's left us here for a reason. We're to be salt and light until he removes the restrainer. We're to be involved in the world. We're not to be boycotting the world. If Christians all just pulled out, how are we going to share Christ? Go to Isaiah 35. But it's very tempting to just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I'm saved. Let's go. I understand. The temptation is strong, but we're to be patient. We're to encourage our own hearts first. Isaiah 35, look at verses 3 through 4. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. 
That's why I can't wait until we come back in September and begin our study in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Because like I told you earlier, before we started our recording, we're going to be re receiving a lot of encouragement from those books. Encouragement to continue and to finish strong in these last of the last days. So the first thing James tells us to do is to establish your own hearts. The second thing is this, and this is an eye-opener for me. I'm just going to tell you now what I'm about to show you I had never seen before. In all my years of studying scripture, what I'm going to show you I've seen, I had not seen it tied to what it's tied to. The second thing is here in verse number nine. Look at what he says. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In the midst of the passages that encourage us about Jesus' return, we see instructions about living in harmony with each other. And this is what I started to notice. I've seen that we're to the one another passages and how we're to treat each other and be kind to one another and not quarrel with each other. But I had not noticed that they were connected to the passages that talk about the return of Jesus. In other words, almost every single time a passage would talk about Jesus' return and looking for his return and being ready for his return, it would quickly say, oh, and by the way, don't grumble against each other. Don't quarrel against each other. Treat each other well. It was an eye-opener to me. Why in these passages that talk about being ready for his return and looking for his return, does he quickly say, oh, and don't be mean to each other in the process? Well, let's take a look at a few of them. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, when, Jim? Due season. We will reap if we don't give up. We have a need of endurance, remember? So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In this passage, it's saying, hey, hang on. God's not sleeping. He's paying attention. Don't get weary doing good. In due season you will reap when Jesus comes and his reward is with him and his recompense for those who reject him. When he comes and he rewards us, you will be rewarded. In that same passage it says, oh by the way, in the meantime, do good with each other and especially those who are in church. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 11. I think you're starting to see there, Janie, how God started to show me what book we're supposed to do next. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 11. It's just talked about verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether awake or sleep we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you are doing in the midst of this passage, encouraging us that we're not destined for wrath. It says, oh, by the way, build each other up in the process. Again, connected to passages about his return and being ready and looking is encouragement on how to treat each other. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through verse, chapter 3, verse 2. Titus 2, starting in verse 11, and then we'll go into chapter 3, verse 2. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you, and remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Again, connected with this. Remember when, when Paul wrote this to Titus, he didn't say, well, chapter one's over. I'm going to start chapter three or chapter two. He then, here it's a continual letter. And in this continual letter is he's saying, hey guys, we're to be watching for Jesus' return, ready for the blessed hope. And in the meantime, here's how you act toward the world and here's how you act toward each other. Stop grumbling against one another. Stop quarreling against one another. Build each other up. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, have you ever wondered why we see things like not grumbling, not quarreling, tied to waiting for Jesus' return? And as I sat in my office and just kind of meditated on it and said, Lord, why? Why uh, almost inextricably are they tied together? He began to open my eyes. We live in a time in which things are getting worse, are they not? And it gets harder and harder to live here, doesn't it? And our frustration with what's going on in the globe begin to increase, do they not? To the point that many of us have probably stopped watching the news. Because it ain't doing us any good. Well, let me say this to you. God also knew that as things got worse, and as our anxiety and our frustration and whatever would increase, the temptation would be to take out some of those frustrations on the people around us, including our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have we not seen it a little bit with how the church reacted toward each other during COVID? The church started to go after each other, didn't it? If you really love people, you'd wear a mask. Well, if you understood the freedom we have in Christ, you wouldn't wear a mask. And now all of a sudden, in our frustration with what's going on, as we see things get worse and worse, we have this problem we've been looking at where we all want to be God still. And that desire to be God had manifested itself where we've been angry at the world and we just want God to come and wipe everybody out. And on top of that, we started judging our brothers and sisters as to whether or not they're living righteously according to our definition. And God said, I know that temptation is going to be there. Don't grumble against each other because the true judge is at the door. The one who really knows is at the door. And as we've already looked at, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, God says, if I want someone to wear a mask, that's fine. And if I want someone else not to wear a mask, that's fine too, and that's none of your business. We need to be reminded of this. We need to establish our hearts. We need to make sure that we're ready for Jesus' return and that we're being patient and that we're not taking out our frustrations on the people around us. We're all going to have differing views on how we should be living in this wicked world in which each of us thinks should be our focus. And we'll want everybody else to see it the way we do. Boycott or no boycott. Did you ever notice, by the way, did you ever notice that God chose of his 12 apostles, one of them who was a tax collector, 
and one of them who was a zealot. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the tax collectors were Jews who worked for Rome collecting taxes. The zealots were Jews who hated anybody that worked for Rome. And the zealots would kill anyone and thought they were righteous to do so, kill anyone that worked for Rome who was a Jew. And God picked 12 apostles and two of them were Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. And I'm really sure that when he sent them out two by two, he paired those two up. <laughs> Go to Titus chapter 3. Let's keep reading verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. But what about the people that we know we're right about them? No, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now the saying is trustworthy, and I want to you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, not other people's good works, their own. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. And folks, as we get closer to the return of Jesus, more and more of those kind of people, I'm going to say, quote unquote, Christians are going to keep popping up. And they're going to tell you how to vote, and they're going to tell you all these other things, and they're going to be very strong in their opinions, and you're not a good enough Christian if you don't see it like I do. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, let me stop real quick. Isn't that amazing? Paul tells Timothy three things. He says, look, a, a, a good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In other words, you just get involved with what it is that your master's told you to do. Then he goes on and he says that athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, hey, you do it the way that Lord tells you to do it. And you're not going to be rewarded unless you follow what he said. And then he goes on and he says, and the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. In other words, God's going to pay attention and he'll reward you. But I love the fact that Paul says, just think over what I just said. The Lord will help you understand it. Isn't that amazing? 
Paul had insight and he could have expounded, but he just said, no, I'm going to leave that to the Lord. He'll show you what I'm talking about. But what if Timothy didn't get it for about five years? That's okay. We were talking about that tonight, were we? Early before the study in James, sorry, John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I got more to share with you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. In other words, there are going to be things that you don't even understand. But God says, don't worry, I'll tell you when it's time. You just keep following me. And Paul, trusting the power of God to open eyes, he said to Timothy, he said, look, God will show you. Now, I'm for the sake of time, we're going to keep moving. So don't. I'm not going to keep reading, but if you were to keep going on all the way to verse 26, he ends up with verses 22 and following. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know, they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance and leading to a knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I've had people over the years come up and say, Jim, should I be stockpiling? What about guns? And I will answer the same every time. What's God telling you to do? Oh, and by the way, don't assume that what God's telling you is what he's telling the person next to you in the pew. But don't you think Try to keep from going down that road. My thinking usually gets me in trouble. Notice how as Paul gives instructions on how to live in these last days, he leaves specific understanding to God and he continually reminds them to avoid controversies and quarreling. Why do we avoid grumbling against each other? I've already said it because the true judge, Jesus, is at the door. There's a third thing. Go back to James chapter 5. Look at verse 11, verses 10 and 11. He says that we're to learn from the prophets and Job. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've also heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you go back and you look at the prophets, you'll realize they had to put up with a lot of people mocking them and saying, you keep saying all this stuff's going to happen, but we don't see it. You keep saying God's going to judge us, but he ain't judged us yet. You keep saying that Babylonians are coming, but we don't see them now. And they had to be faithful to share what God has said. And in the end, they were proven right. But during their lives... They weren't very well respected, were they? Go to Isaiah 5. I'm going to do this real quick. Isaiah 5, verses 18 through 20. Let me just give you an example of a few things that Isaiah had to deal with. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who keep saying, well, where's, when's God going to do something? Go to Jeremiah 17, verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah 17, verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah is saying, Lord, heal me and I shall be healed Save me and I shall be saved for you're my praise. Behold, they say to me, where's the word of the Lord? Let it come. 
I have not run away from being your shepherd, God, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. You heard it. You saw it. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Jeremiah is having it rough, and they're mocking him. And they're saying, where is this coming of this stuff you say God's going to do? Let it come. And Jeremiah says, you know what, God? I need you to establish my heart. I know they're going to be put to shame, those who reject you, because your word is true. But may I not be put to shame. I know they're going to be dismayed when all this comes to fruition, but Lord, may I not be dismayed. Lord, deal with them the way you want to deal with them. But my heart needs to stay firm on you, even though they're mocking me because you haven't acted yet. You told me to say these things were going to happen. By the way, did you know John the Baptist got a little discouraged himself? Because he was sent... And this is what his words were that God told him to say. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Judgment is coming. And that's the message God had him preach. Yet all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he's, he's nice. And he's, he's friend to sinners, and he's healing people. And I know I said what he told me to say, but how come it didn't? happening and he sends word to Jesus with one of his disciples are you the one or should we look for somebody else and Jesus says you go back and tell John and he quotes from Isaiah the blind are seeing the deaf are hearing and the good news is being preached to the poor in other words everything is right on schedule I'm not slow as some people count slowness folks God has made very clear the mission that he's given me in these days he's told me my role what Jim Johnson and Just Peter Ministries is going to do until the day I die, unless he tells me something different, is prepare the church for the return of Jesus. To get Christians more in love with Jesus and walking more in obedience to the Lord and what it really means to be walking with Him and listening to the Spirit biblically and to be grounded in the Word of God and to challenge those who think they're okay and aren't. And I know the mission that He's given me, but let me tell you, it's not easy in this day and age, especially as a lot of Christian churches say, I'm not even sure Jim's theology is correct. But I've got to be faithful to what he's told me to do, and you need to be faithful to what he's shown you, even though others may mock. I'm not going to go there, but in Ezekiel 12, you can look at it later on in verses 21 through 28. Ezekiel had to deal with that stuff too. And not only that, Job too held on to God's word in strong faith, even though he had trouble seeing light at the end of the tunnel. In his suffering... And in the midst of severe persecution and mocking opposition, he ultimately hung on to God and in time was rewarded. But were there not times even in Job's patience that he lost a little bit of his patience? Yes. But we don't realize Job had three trials that we have recorded. Actually, four. One was he lost his family and all his possessions. Two, he lost his health. Three, his best friends who had been sitting there for a week saying nothing, then all turned on him and just jumped on him one after another. And then when they had already had their tag team, the next guy says, I'm going back again. And the next guy says, me too. And they keep going round robin on him. And then a fourth trial came when he met God face to face. And God says, you wanted to have a trial? You wanted to defend yourself? Here you go. But you know what? In the end, he was proven Righteous. And he was richly rewarded. 
This is what God's word says to us through James tonight. Establish your heart. Don't waste your time thinking about other people and what they're doing or should be doing in these days. And learn from the prophets and Job. We talk now about Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, don't we? Pretty well. And so will they you one day if you're faithful. The last thing, though, is go back to chapter 5, verse 12 of James. Again, when I was reading this, I'm like, this just seems out of place. But above all, my brothers. So when he says, but above all, it has to be connected to what we just saw, right? It has to be. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation or judgment. Here's what God opened my eyes to why it's here. As you wait for Jesus' return in his timing, and as you boldly tell others what God has said, do not feel the need to add to what God has said. His words don't need any emphasis. Didn't we all get a little caught up in that whole blood moon and stuff like that that started happening so many years ago and they all fell on the feast days? And all of a sudden we started preaching blood moons and sun going dark and solar eclipses and feast days. And all of a sudden we went away from the scripture and tried to interpret the signs and we started trying to convince everybody with the signs instead of the word of God. By the way, Jesus in Matthew 5, we don't have time to go there, but in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, when he talks about this, saying, don't swear by this, don't swear by that, he said this, anything more than yes or no comes from the evil one. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but haven't all of us thought at one time, wouldn't it be cool if certain, of a certain celebrity would get saved and really get on fire for Jesus? Then the world would pay attention. Isn't that crazy how we think that way sometimes? Because we think that the word's not powerful enough by itself, but if so-and-so, and you can throw in whatever celebrity you want to name, if they got saved, then that shows that our hearts really don't believe that the word of God is enough. I'm going to give you two last scriptures for tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and to Paulus for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't go beyond what's written. And a lot of times people will come up and say, Jim, what about this? What about that? And I'll say, what does the word say? Yeah, but this just happened. But what does the word say? And that's my job is to keep bringing you back to the word and just hold on to the word. Because it's very tempting to look at the latest thing and try to read the Bible and the newspaper at the same time and try to mm -mm, just know what the word has said. Ken Ham does a great job of that with his answers in Genesis. 
I've seen videos of him, and he'll put up a big picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And by the way, dinosaurs did exist on the earth. And they'll put a picture of Tyrannosaurus Rex on, on, the, uh, on the screen, and they'll say, he'll say, look at his teeth. Was he a vegetarian or a meat eater? And everybody goes, meat eater, because of those teeth. And he says, ah. The scripture said that the dinosaurs all ate only vegetables and grass. It wasn't until after the flood, and the dinosaurs were all destroyed in the flood. It wasn't until after the flood that animals started even eating meat. But what you've done is you've just taken what we know now or what people have said, and you've built your belief on that instead of what the Word of God says. I'm going to leave you with a, a, a serious warning. Go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verses 18 through 20. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I don't think you want that. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, by the way, you do that when you say, well, it doesn't really mean that. That isn't going to really happen. That's just symbolic. Anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Sounds like it's pretty serious that we just stick with what's written, isn't it? He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Well, what does soon mean, Lord? Be patient. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We know the truth. And we need to tell people the truth. And leave it at that. There's a judgment coming. And there's only one person that can reconcile us to God. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. And we need to just understand, well, he's coming. Well, when? We don't know the day of the hour and we're to be ready at any moment. But we're also to be patient because he waited for you. And praise God, he's waiting for some others. But there is a day. And by the way, don't fall prey to those. As soon as we get the last person saved, then listen closely. The day has already been set. Well, Jim, how do you know this? Again, don't go beyond what's written. But in Acts 17, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 31, Paul said, God has already set the day of judgment. And he's given proof of who he is he's going to use to judge the world by raising him from the dead. The day's already been set. It's already been set. Between now and then, what are we to do? Be patient. And establish our own hearts. Encourage each other. Don't grumble against each other. Learn from the prophets and Job. Be farmers and leave it to God. I love y'all. Can't wait to show you next week. And I'll give you a commercial. Next week, we're going to deal with that hard passage about healing and anointing with oil. And I'm going to show you in the full context of James, even though God does heal physically, and I got no problem with people praying for people that, for healing physically, and if you want to put oil on it, go ahead. But this passage, I'm going to show you in the full context of James, and what we just read as well, is talking about spiritual healing. Very different. Can't wait to show you. That's next week. See you then.